Welcome everyone to the Dining on a Dime podcast, where we give you tips on how to save on your monthly food budget. Now we give you the absolute best foodie news, and our professionals will give you recipes and cooking tips. So let's get the show started. Okay, welcome to Dining on a Dime. Here is what you're going to hear today. First 15 minutes is going to be all about breakfast. I have some fun facts about breakfast. Uh, My co-host will give you some expert input on breakfast. Then 15 minutes into the podcast, we are going to talk bourbon. So all our bourbon lovers out there, you're going to learn some stuff about bourbon. Uh, You are going to... Uh, really be interesting uh, to hear that segment. And then, 30 minutes into the podcast, we are going to talk to a fabulous, a wonderful bakery. It's called Bake Ability, and it is in the Buckingham Green Shopping Center uh, in uh, Buckingham, PA. Uh, then we're going to end the show with our fabulous interview with Matt, the taproom manager at Workhorse Brewing in King of Prussia. So let's get started. The cornflakes patent was applied in 1895. Uh, General Mills entered the cereal game in 1922. Uh, Wheaties was named Wheaties in 1925. And here's my fun fact of the day. Cornflakes. We all love cornflakes, right? They were actually created by accident. Uh, The Kellogg's brothers were trying to make a healthy cracker. They left the uh, things on the stove too long, and that is how cornflakes were created. Let's get dig deep into breakfast with our very own chef, Gene Blum. Well, good afternoon, everyone. So breakfast is a really big thing now as we come through COVID. since COVID began, 80% of the households in the United States have had a change in their breakfast routine. And that change is really focused around people are home having breakfast together. So there's a lot of really cool things that have popped up. But, you know, breakfast itself was never a real big important meal it was kind of a little fuel to get started going back to ancient egypt uh ancient egypt i love this that they would start breakfast with beer and then some bread (laughs) and some onions uh probably not good for your breath but you know the beer (laughs) bread and onions before they would go out and do work for the day and then in ancient greece they would often have a barley bread that was dipped in wine to start the day and they would add some figs and olives to that and then also pancakes came about with ancient greece too so it was really cool um ancient rome started to do a little bit more it wasn't one of the formal meals but it was just a fun you know you got a little bit of cheese olives and any leftover meat from the night before breakfast in itself actually comes from the word breaking the fast or breaking the fast. The English term that started it all is uh, morgamite. And, you know, that was your morning meal. Catholics had a big influence on that. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas actually said that breakfast was a form of gluttony. Uh, You know, you committed the sin of eating too early. And the Catholics really, uh, you know, got away from that and, and it became a you know a kind of no-no now chef is a very accomplished 
uh, chef. He's one of the top chefs in this entire area. Chef, what do you make when you're home making breakfast? I've seen on your social media that you are a expert wa- uh, omelet maker. I've seen those. I, I do a, a lot of omelets day to day, but at home, my wife and my children swear by my French toast and my variations in my French nice. toast. So I'm a big believer that you can never have too much fat. So, you know, while people use heavy or you, people use milk or skim milk to make French toast, I'm in there with the half and half and heavy cream. I a little bit more sugar, a little bit more. You know, sometimes I'll add a little honey to mine, a little bit more vanilla. I like breakfast to be kind of decadent, so that I also love to do a good French toast bread pudding where I make the French toast, and I let it sit, and then I make a great bread pudding in that. And what I love to do is layer it and then pour my custard into it so that the berries and all that are in the center of the crock they bake and the sauce thickens but does not solidify so as i scoop it i take that custard and it becomes the sauce for my bread pudding too and i've seen your omelets they're perfect is there a trick uh to making the perfect omelet is there any uh you know what I mean? For the home cooks. So I, I was taught a long time ago, and restaurants would argue, and the Board of Health would argue with this today, but room temperature eggs are better than cold eggs. So, okay. you know, you want to bring your eggs up to temperature. They fluff a little bit more. And if you're cooking eggs over easy, sunny side up, certainly things like that, they don't break when you put them on okay. a hot grill. But uh, that's very cool. You know, since we've been home for COVID, things like TikTok have really changed breakfast a little bit because people are doing all these great weird videos and they've come up with this whipped coffee idea called Delgana. Um, it's pretty much just a whipped cold milk coffee, but people are starting to make cereal out of pancakes. Oh, they, they okay. cook their pancakes a little bit more and make the cereal. Things like peanut butter milk for their kids. So there's a lot of really weird things. And you're seeing a lot of people start to step up in breakfast, too. Some of the big trends in breakfast sandwiches are like Asian-influenced Thai hot sauces on your breakfast sandwiches, things like that. Um, And you're starting to see, like, Cinnabon now has a fried chicken biscuit on a cinnamon bun that's just out of this world so everybody's getting into it and really playing with some new flavors one of my favorite things to make for breakfast okay i don't do it very often but it's a coconut banana pancake okay it is just absolutely to die for wow and let's give some uh, fun facts in between uh i read online cannot verify or confirm or deny but they purposely photograph the mascot on the cereal box looking down so that they can make make eye contact with your child <laughs> is what i read uh because it it, it it is meant to attract your child to the mascot and then ask you to buy that cereal you guys can look at next time you're at the supermarket to see if that is true uh just joining us is our alcohol expert who's going to be a big asset to our bourbon segment uh Matt Maratea. Matt, you're a home cook. You're a very mm-hmm. skilled home cook. It's in the morning. You have extra time. What are you making for breakfast? Chef just gave us tips on omelets, and the chef just gave us tips on uh, French toast. What is your thing for breakfast? 
Well, I got to say, those are two very good options. Yes. Um, so I, I don't want to repeat myself. Right. Because uh, that's maybe one or two, but I'm a huge fan of trying to do something different with pancakes. Yes. Right. Uh, I love adding, you know, a little bit of extra cinnamon, a little bit of extra vanilla, just sort of seeing how that goes with the batter. And then I love making them a little bit heartier, maybe slightly healthier. I love adding oats. Okay. That's my, I love oats and pancakes. I think it mixes so well when you have a syrup, whether it's, you know, your Mrs. Butterworth's or your log cabin, or actually it's kind of a family secret, but my dad, he introduced us to Caro because that's what he had as a kid. Okay. And it's, I can't recommend it to anybody because it is just literally corn syrup <laughs> and it's slowly killing me, I'm sure, but it is gonna so die good. happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't use the clear one, though. That's too much for me. We are actually lucky enough to have a professional chef on our team and then two home cooks. Amherst Pollock, what do you do for breakfast? Um, I actually skirt the norm, and I started doing this a while back, like years back, because I want to listen to what my body needs. So for breakfast, for me, it's something where if I wake up and I crave something that is out of the norm, I will eat it. Like, I've also eaten salads um, for breakfast, so... Um, as far as like a traditional breakfast, I'm a huge fan of French toast. Nice. Um, I like a good bacon, egg, and cheese on a bagel with, uh, I'll, I'll whip up some ketchup, mayonnaise, add in a little bit of salt and pepper and, you know, toast that bagel up. Um, and you know, that's, that's the, an extra crispy bacon. I do like extra crispy bacon. And for Jim Hassan, um, crispy, C-R-I-P-Y. Nice. <laughs> And I, that's the way to go. Uh, just on on the train of thought that Amherst just gave, uh, pho is a popular uh, breakfast in Vietnam. Yeah, so, so everyone. So knows. they eat soup, and it's it has a lot of carbs, exactly. so that fuels you through the day. And that was in my notes, so I had a hangover say. rejuvenation. <laughs> is that also for something like that? Amherst was talking about maybe not atypical, but I love adding like a like the cento. Uh, a cherry pepper spread. Cherry peppers on anything, especially a breakfast sandwich. Nice. Makes my day so much better. And she makes a great point, too, because how many of us love pizza in mm -hmm. the morning? I do. I love pizza, leftover pizza. Uh, let's give a couple more fun facts. Jackson 5 did a commercial for Alphabets in 1973. Uh, frosted flakes and cornflakes. Have been taken to the moon. Did you guys know that they were on uh, in uh, on the uh, space shuttle? They went on the space shuttle. They're That's interesting. Fun fact about frosted flakes. Okay. Um. So the original Tony the Tiger. Yes. Is the same guy who sang "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch." That is correct. Thurl Ravencroft. <laughs> My mind is blown right now. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't know that. I mean, you don't hear Thurl too much as a name anymore. I think it could be brought back personally. And the McDonald's introduced the Egg McMuffin in 1973. So you guys, the Egg McMuffin is almost as old as I am. <laughs> uh, raw leeks are used uh, used to be in Lebanese breakfast foods. Uh, and let's go to the chef. Chef, any more interesting things about breakfast? Cheerios used to be called Cheerios. Did you guys know that? 
Hmm. The original name like for Cheerios. Like Happy Oats or no, Cherry Oats. Hmm. Yeah, so that was the original name for uh, Cheerios. Good show. One of the big things that today a lot of trends that we're seeing is something called overnight oats, okay. where literally mm. they're just soaked and they develop overnight. There's not a cooking process that's you know done fresh in the morning. That absolutely fabulous flavor. It really brings out the natural sugars in them. Oats are such a, a great product with their natural sugar content that you can't go wrong. That's why they're often used in cereals and things like that. But um, I think that if you're not familiar with overnight oats, what a great thing because if you have a couple cocktails the night before, you can sleep <laughs> in and your kids mm-hmm. can help themselves. It's yeah. not a problem at all. Not a bad tip right there. And you can do a lot of, a lot with it. You can play with what you put in it. Um, you can make it a sweet thing. You can make it savory. Um, overnight oats are perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay, what about, how about the Lucky Charms? They started with the Leprechaun all the way back in 1964. So that Leprechaun has been around for ages. Magically delicious. And uh, sh- Matt, go that, ahead. That, that, that Leprechaun is expanding beyond the breakfast style, too. I was in uh, ShopRite the other day. I've seen uh, and made. They have the, those ready-bake cookies, right, nice. with the Lucky Charms-style marshmallows. Not great, but the <laughs> cupcakes with the Lucky Charms uh, style marshmallows sort of baked in them, those are really good. Supers, if you have a humongous sweet tooth, that's something that is really good. Okay, Matt Maratea, one tip to give our home cooks, because you're a home cook, uh, for breakfast. What do you think? Do you prepare the night before? What do you do? We got uh, two minutes. I, I wouldn't say necessarily prepare the night before, but... Know what you want, right? It's the same thing as, you know, knowing what you're going to wear or knowing what you have to do, right? As long as you keep everything in the same time frame, you should be fine. It's routine-based. Okay. It's why I'm not good at it. It's why I I ate breakfast today in the car at, like, 2.30. Amherst Pollock, another home cook. What is your uh, tip, one tip to give to our listeners for breakfast? What would you say? I mean, definitely have breakfast. I I skipped breakfast for years, and um, I would be starving for lunch. Uh, Not a good idea. Like, definitely have breakfast and pack it with a nice balance of protein um, and carbs to fuel you throughout the day. And our professional chef, uh, one minute, uh, chef. Nothing is so good that bacon can't make better. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, bacon is is the miracle food. Uh, I created a twice-baked breakfast potato yesterday. It's a twice-baked potato. And then I topped it with a big slab of bacon. And then I put an egg on top. It was absolutely delicious. Awesome. So bacon and is the answer. Let's go to break. And when we come back, it's all about bourbon. <laughs> you can now listen to all of our past Dining on a Dime podcast. Plus, See over 600 restaurant reviews with photos by going to www.phillyrestaurantreviews.com. Okay, we are back. Chef Gene, take over. Let's talk about bourbon. Let's give us all uh, info about bourbon. Well, it's wonderful to be here, have Matt here, have Amaris, and see a flight of bourbons lined up. I brought in four bourbons for them to taste today um, that I did a little tasting of last night and numerous times before. So bourbon. 
bourbon is a uniquely American product. It actually became a uniquely American product in 1964 when it was recognized by the federal government as a distinctive product of the United States. There are certain things that have to occur for it to be bourbon. Bourbon is distilled since about the 18th century. Um, the name bourbon came around in the 1850s and the history books will tell you or the bourbon historians will tell you that the creator of bourbon is Elijah Craig and the Elijah Craig name lasts today. What I find great about that is if he was the person that really created bourbon, he was a Baptist minister. <laughs> Okay, so there's a lot of cool things. But then there's rumors that, you know, Bourbon was named after Bourbon Street in New Orleans. That's not true. That, you know, Bourbon County, things like that. But so to be a Bourbon, in order to qualify to be a Bourbon, it has to be a 51% corn mash to start with. It has to be stored in a new, brand new, charred oak barrel usually white oak but it can't be a previously used barrel obviously made in the united states it is distilled to no more than 160 proof it goes into the barrel at no more than 125 proof or and at bottling it has to be 80 proof or better and no additives there's really no minimum aging um, period for bourbon but there's labeling that goes with it so for something to be called a straight bourbon it has to be two years or more um, all bourbons less than four years need an age statement on it now that's age statement can be can say straight bourbon so you know it's two at least two years but possibly more then there's what's called bottled and bond mm -hmm. we have a bottled and bond today a bottled and bond is four years so you know that's where that's at and anything that is a blended bourbon so a lot of bourbons are a blend of different things but you'll find you know They'll, they'll have alcohol fortified. They still have to be 51% bourbon. So that's the magic number in bourbons is 51%. Um, so Elijah Craig, 1789, we come up with this whole situation of, you know, distilling mash. What makes bourbon bourbon, though, is the barrel. Going into that American white oak barrel or American oak barrel, okay, uh, when it ages, that adds your vanilla. It gives it some color. What happens is as the temperature fluctuates in what they call the, rick, the, the barrel house where the barrels are stored, the barrel gets absorbed or the bourbon gets absorbed into the wood. It gets pushed back into the barrel, so on and so forth. We get some that evaporates. That evaporation, that amount is called the angel's share. You often see, I believe it's Jim Beam now does a... Uh, a marketing campaign with the angel share where they talk about that but you know the barrel is really important so getting it out of the barrel is really the most important thing your master distiller needs to go pull it out at the exact right time when that bourbon is at its perfection if it sits too long it'll start to develop a little woody flavor to it which you certainly don't want 
Most bourbons are a combination of hundreds of barrels that are mixed together to get the exact flavor that they want. So Jim Beam, what well, we have a bottle and bond tonight, hundreds of barrels and barrels for 53 gallons. They go into a big vat. They're blended, mixed until they get to the flavor that they exactly want. That's the master distiller's job. Now, there are some other types of bourbons you can get. You can get small batch. Small batch and single barrel are different things. Single barrel is exactly that. It is a single barrel that you're drawing from. So there's some really great, unique characteristics. I love single barrels. I belong to a bourbon group right now where we're having single barrels done just for our group, um, the Philadelphia Whiskey Society that are just being blended and bottled just for us. They have unique characteristics. And you would recommend a bourbon group for people around the world that are listening to the show, Look correct? in social media, okay. on Facebook, Instagram, find a bourbon group. Oftentimes you have a group that you can pay dues to. Uh, here in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Whiskey Society, I think I pay $40 a year to be a wow. member or something like yeah. that. But I get 10% discount at hundreds of different locations throughout the area i get all these free tastings i can go to i get uh opportunities to buy special bottles it's really really That's really a great cool. tip so right there it's a great thing so when you get into single barrel you get into small batch small batch could be six barrels blended together it could be 10 it could be a small group it's not like a master brew small batches are often uh sought after too single barrels there are some single barrels where they try to produce something that's pretty consistent. So there's one named after, it's done by Buffalo Trace. It's Elmer Lee, if you've mm -hmm. never had Elmer Lee. I think it's about $40. So it's like your best single or single barrel bourbon you can get under $40. Strongly recommend it. Um, it's a really, really wonderful thing. So a couple things about barrels. When we're all done with them, um, we don't throw them away. Uh, they go for two big things. They're often shipped overseas. They go, on occasion, some wines will use them, but mostly scotch. And the other big thing is stout beers. Mm -hmm. oh, stout beers okay. love to use bourbon barrels for it. So so how do, you drink, how do you taste bourbon? Well, tasting bourbon is a unique thing. There's a difference between drinking bourbon and tasting bourbon, okay? Tasting bourbon is really taking the time to bring in the aroma, the color, the taste. So I put a couple up here for my colleagues. So the first thing I always like to do is look at my color. That's going to tell me a lot. The deeper the color, usually the older the barrel. Okay. So that gives you a little bit and also gives you a sense of the caramel that's in there too. Okay. That's always a great thing. You can get a special glass. I have Glen Karen glasses at home. Glen Karen glass has a special shape that allows, it's a narrow bottom that allows me to look at the bourbon and it comes up and then it's a narrow neck that traps the, the aromas for me. Okay. Um, it's a very, you know, great thing to have if you're very into it, but you want to look at your color. Then you want to take a deep smell of your bourbon. I was going to say, um, I actually am a huge fan of bourbon, as you know. Um, and this weekend was my father's birth, uh, birthday, and he's also a fan. So I made a bunch of uh, bourbon-based cocktails, and I smoked my glass. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wanted to add in that, like, if you wanted to add a different flavor profile when you're, you know, drinking, you can always smoke your glass, too. Did I miss that invitation? <laughs> <laughs> I must have. I, I don't know. So, aroma. 
you, you can, the average person can actually differentiate about 12 or about 10 to 12,000 cents. That's a lot of cents. So you want to you want to get that. You're going to get a lot from the aroma of that. It's very important. You actually get more from the aroma than you actually do from the taste. But you want to take a small sip. You want to do what we call the Kentucky Chew when you do a barrel. So in Kentucky, they have something called the Kentucky Chew. So you swirl your barrel or you, you swirl it in the glass. You look at your color. Then you put your nose deep in that glass. You don't just put it up under your nose. You put your nose deep into that. And you take a really good aroma out of that. Nice. Then you're gonna sip it. Then you're gonna swish it around in your mouth. You're gonna get a little bit more of the flavor and you're literally gonna chew on it in your mouth. Matt does it, look at this. There's a Kentucky chew going there on is. right there. And last but not least, you're gonna swallow that. So if that was number one, Mm-hmm. That was a Jim Beam 100 proof bottled and bond. So bottled and bond <laughs> meaning it's a four year minimum. It's 100 proof. I'm glad I'm not dry or that I'm not doing this because driving at the end would be an optional thing. Okay. Uh, let's get Matt's opinion though. Matt, what did you think? Well, the podcast I have after this might get a little squirrely. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, this one you can taste the, you know, it, it's definitely sweet. Uh, and you can tell from the color it's not quite as caramelly or aged quite as long as the other ones if that's the indicator we're going for them okay. but i mean i gotta say i'm familiar with i guess the first three on the list and you know i know you know what you get from jim beam and i've always liked it i've always found it to be pretty pleasant and i think it's great to use for cocktails to use for mixes things Absolutely. like that it's it, and you know especially i think chilled it can be a decent sip. Okay. Yeah. I love, there's a little bit of honey in it <laughs> mm-hmm. for me. So yeah. I, I love that honey that comes out of a Jim Beam. That's a really nice thing. So number two on the list today, we have a Woodford Reserve Distiller Select. It's a 90.4 proof. My um, <laughs> Yes, this is Amaris's Choice. A really nice uh, caramel honey color to it as well. It's my favorite um, from that. Um, this is... Uh, uh, interesting mash. It's a 72% corn, 18% rye, 10% barley. So it really is a lot more complex than some of the others. It's just a a genuinely, and there's a nice cinnamon that I get from a Woodford Reserve. I, I like the cinnamon. There's also... It- it doesn't have as much of a punch when you you know when you sip it. Um, the first one definitely hits you with that that heavy alcohol, but even though it's only a small percentage less, it still has less of a punch. The cinnamon warms it, and it's still sweet. Do you get any butterscotch from? I I get butterscotch in in my Woodford. I I like that a lot. Yeah, I would I would definitely believe butterscotch. I know I pick up the cinnamon like you say. And it kind of brings me to a question that I had uh, when you talked about the corn. Is there a specific kind of corn that people use, like uh, different varieties of corn? What goes best into making a bourbon? So traditionally, it is a yellow corn that is native, you know, to the region. Um, Every distiller has different selects as to what they like. Mm -hmm. Woodford Reserves. I'm trying to think of the actual name of that. It's when I was down that region 
they went into it and they, and they had very specific farmers. But the sewers will go out to the farms and listen, you know, I want from there and I want from there. Oh, wow. um, it's that specific. You know, and, and it's kind of weird going into a mash that you would be like that, but yes, mm-hmm. you know. Elijah Craig, father of bourbon as we know it, okay? Um, <laughs> I love that there's fruitiness to Elijah Craig for me that I, I, I really think it's great. And this has the longest finish, that, that flavor in the back at the end that you get and how long it lasts. So I think that that's really cool. You can nice. smell the fruitiness on the nose. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> nice. And this is um fun fact from my perspective this is a, a bourbon that i keep like going to the, the liquor store and i'm like should i buy that <laughs> yes. so this is like all right i get to finally taste it and now i can pull the gun if i like it there you go okay uh, chef what is the next one the last one that we're going to do today is a local it's uh, huntington valley pennsylvania actually distillery the gentleman is a food scientist and he opened up a business called Mermaid Spirits. So they make rum and they make bourbon. Um, this rum is finished in a port wine cask. Um, it's funny, this comes to me, some of the flavors come to me as a wine person. Uh, I get like green apples and I get grass. I get weird things in this. Um, I get a flavor that's, not Coca-Cola, like an off-brand cola. It's weird, but I enjoy this. I, I like this. My knock on this particular bourbon is they use a two-year bourbon to start with. If they had a four-year going in, I think it would develop a little bit better before they finish it in the wine cask, in the port wine cask. I, I really wish they would do that. But there is a nice little bit of uh, vanilla into it as well. So, you know, I recommend going out and really finding something like there's so many great redemption elijah craig woodford reserve jim bean makes some great you know variations knob creek you cannot go wrong with uh you know maker's mark is is there's a a place in chicago called kuma burgers Mm -hmm. i developed uh a taste for kuma burgers when i first went in I went up to the bar to get a drink, and they had Maker's Mark on draft. <laughs> and I looked, and I said, is that some kind of, like, soda, some kind of beer? No, it's Maker's Mark. Like, you have Maker's Mark on tap, and you have great burgers. Do you have a cot? Because I'm moving in, okay? <laughs> I'm never leaving. I was going to well, say, uh, on the, oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. No, no, no. I'm, that's fantastic. Uh, we're almost out of time. I want to get to our guest. But go ahead, Amherst. Oh, I was going to say, on the nose, just smelling it, you could smell the vanilla and the caramel. Nice. Um, and then when you're sipping it, like you get hit with that and the sweetness, but then it mellows into that grassy note that you were talking about mm-hmm. and, you know, balances out throughout the, you know, the end of it. I almost got a like a cherry vanilla soda. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, it, yeah. There, there's a weird soda kind of <laughs> yeah. it's a, it, it's strange. I, I don't know, but I like it. I, yeah. I you know, I'm not much on small distillery bur- like local mm. distillery bourbons, you know, but it's one that I do enjoy. That it's, was a, a fabulous it, it, I, I learned so much. It was great. Uh, we're going to go to break, and we'll be back with our very special guest. You can find the Dining on a Dime podcast on social media, on Facebook, 
Dining on a Dime, the number one. On Twitter, at Dining on a Dime, the number one. And on Instagram, KJW1972. Please subscribe to our show. We are available on all podcast platforms, including iHeartRadio and Spotify. All right, Chef. Well, good afternoon, Paula. How are you? Good afternoon. Hi, I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. So, Paula, I I, I want to start with saying um, I heard about your business. Uh, I have a little bit of a background in special education. And when I heard about your business, I, I really felt that I have to come up and try it. I went in. I had a uh, great pleasure to meet you on Saturday. And I tried um, a couple of your baked goods. I, In particular, I got a scone and I got the pizzettes and I also got snickerdoodles my takeaway from that is the scone made it about a block and it was probably the best scone I have ever had in my life mm. my wife who does not like snickerdoodles and is a baker a good baker said that it was the best bakery cookie she ever had so whatever you're doing you're doing well so I want to start with how did this all come about? Uh, Bakeability, a bakery that, that focuses with individuals with special needs. How does it all start? So it starts when you have a child with a special need, right? And they do, uh, they go through school from normally the age of three to 21. And then there's a huge drop off because while the school system does a great job, then you're left to deal with the state and the county and waivers and things like that and trying to find meaningful employment is similar to trying to find the needle in the haystack. So I was fortunate in that when I relocated back to Bucks County in 2018, I met uh, a bunch of other moms like my, like me who had children that were aging out of the school system with special needs and were struggling to find something meaningful for them to do. So we would get the kids together. Um, my head baker in Bakeability, her name is Suzette Kohler, and she uh would have the kids over and we would do cooking exercises in her home in the backyard uh this was before covid naturally and we would do arts and crafts and things like that and the kids got to become familiar with each other and that's kind of how we started just trying to occupy them and teach them some skills and then our feeling was what if we took this group of willing and able-bodied applicants and we went to doylestown and tried to find some local merchants who could see the value in employing uh, adults like these who are loyal, who are hardworking, who just want to be part of a community. And so we started, we thought we were going to start a nonprofit. And that's where we were going to purchase a vehicle to transport them because naturally none of them drive. And we were going to take turns and we were going to carpool these kids. And along that, along that road, uh, Suzette had a friend who was a baker. Her name is Iris Lauber. She owned Iris' Sweet Side. Uh, and she was selling her business because she was retiring. So I went with Suzette to meet Iris and to see this bakery. None of the other moms were super keen on um, the bakery concept initially, but I had seen it work across the country for years. I had been watching different people do this business, and I thought, well, this is doable, and it's a model that works. So I had the good fortune of knowing Suzette, who is a baker by trade, and I also had the good fortune of having... Um, the income to be able to purchase the bakery. 
So I purchased the bakery with the understanding that Suzette was going to be my baker. And then a couple of the other moms bought in, in the sense that either they had some part-time work and they would be able to be in the bakery part-time because I work a full-time job Monday through Friday. Um, and that's how we started. And it kind of gained momentum once we signed the ink on the contract. And, you know, I have Suzette, who is my baker, who's there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm there Saturday, Sunday. Uh, there's two other managers, uh, Denise Campbell and Laura Detour. And together, the four of us, and then there's about three or four other moms, one doing the scheduling. My husband's doing the payroll. Like, it takes a village. We banded together and we said, we can do this for our kids. We might not, we're not going to be all things to all people, but we can make a few good things and clearly we can make them well and let's sell them and let's teach the kids how to bake. Let's teach the kids how to use a point of sale system. And here we are three and a half weeks into our little venture. So how many um, kids do you have right now who are working in your bakery? We have 15 employees so far. Um, we're open five days a week. And so each day there's two shifts. There's the 7.30 in the morning to 11.30 in the morning shift. And then there's 11.30 to 3.30. And so we try to make sure that each employee has one to two shifts during the week, depending on availability and scheduling. And um, the, ch- the, the employees that you have, do they move on from, from you know, learning all of the skills that they're, they're obtaining from, you know, working under you guys and, you know, go to a different bakery or a different place of employment? Is that the goal in, in mind for them to, to grow further? I don't necessarily know that it's for them to move on. I would hope that we would have multiple locations over time and they would maybe be the mentors in our newer locations. But since we're only three weeks into this uh, and, you know, and we're still learning because some of the kids who have a real aptitude for baking and can weigh and measure and understand and can read a little bit and follow directions and some kids are super tech savvy and can master the point of sale system like it's a Nintendo game. (laughs) And, you know, everybody has learned how to clean because they have moms who have taught them to do chores for 18 some odd years. So they all know how to sweep and wipe down a counter and take out garbage. So and we're all in this together and we're washing dishes and everybody's doing a little bit of everything until we really see where everyone can excel. And then, you know, we'll take it from there. I loved the customer interactions and the customer skills that the employees were sharing the other day. It was just really wonderful to see those interactions. And my personal feeling is that not only was it absolutely wonderful for the employees, but it was equally wonderful for the guests to walk away with something and feeling part of something bigger than themselves. So, you know, to me, that was really the success of the entire program. I challenge anybody to go into bakeability and, you know, if you don't feel better when you leave, there's something wrong. I mean, it's, you know, (laughs) it just really is a, a wonderful concept. So do the students rotate through the positions or do you assign them a little bit of everything so they can broaden their horizons? Everybody's doing a little bit of everything. Um, clear, there are some of the girls who have an aptitude for baking and applied because they wanted to be bakers. So we're letting them do their things. But uh, I'm a mom to two boys. And so I've, you know, Suzette has taught my younger son how to weigh the cookie dough to, and she, he knows how to do that. And so it's not, you know, everybody's learning to do everything. And just, I want to speak to one thing you said about the community support, you know, What I love is the parents who come in with a child who 
under normal circumstances, they wouldn't take them into a bakery for whatever reason, because maybe they think like somebody's going to look at their child funny or is not going to understand that their child is going to not verbalize properly or say the wrong thing or not say anything at all or try to hide underneath the table. And I love that people can walk in and see our employees behind the counter and, and understand within 10 seconds that your kid's okay. You can even let go of their hand because we're going to come out and say hi to them and they can do whatever they want. If they want to put their fingerprints up on the glass and stare at the cookies, <laughs> we're good with that. I mean, we get it. We've been there and, you know, we've all come a long way with our, those of us that have adult children know what it's like to have a child four or five, six years old who hasn't maybe learned to talk yet and isn't really sure what they're doing. And that's, uh, I have to say that the community, the surrounding towns, the the word of mouth that we're getting from social media, people spreading the word. I mean, yes, it's a feel good story, but I want people to feel comfortable to come in there no matter what their children, you know, what disability they have or I, they're all welcome at Bakeability. So obviously I touched on the scones and I touched on the snickerdoodles. What are some of your other big items that you sell there at the bakery? What are the, the customer favorites? We cannot keep the chocolate chip cookie in stock. That's a huge struggle for us. Okay. Uh, we have, I'll be up this um, weekend. Amherst is giving me that look like. I was like, going to say. Better have here next week, Dean. I will make sure. Um, we also have uh, sugar cookies, and they vary. You know, our logo is this blue, this teal blue and citrus green tie-dye. So all the cookies have tie-dye now tomorrow you'll find the shamrock cookie with green and white tie-dye but normally you'll find a round sugar cookie that has the blue green and white logo in that and that's a tie-dye and that's the kind of thing that we're doing right because all our cookie orders like this way the kids can decorate the cookie because it's a matter of taking your cookie and putting it in the tie-dye royal icing and picking it up and just like our kids everyone is different every one of these cookies the icing pattern is different so that's kind of you know it, it has to be something that the kids can do so you have the scone. Uh, we have this lemon tart that is wildly popular. Uh, we also have uh, some savory items. On Sundays, we do bread rolls and different kind of pizzas, like a white pizza with ricotta, maybe some basil, tomato pie. We always have uh, some kind of an egg white option, usually with spinach and with mushrooms, with tomatoes. It depends whatever kind of fresh vegetable I decide to pick up the day before. Um, so, yeah, we have all different kinds of things. I was going to ask, uh, there's a huge trend of like the stuffed cookies where people like stuff them with something and you break them open after baking them. Um, do you do that at all too? Or, you know, will you plan on doing something like that? We're not doing that yet because we're just getting started. Um, <laughs> my bigger concern is the people from across the country who want me to ship things. So <laughs> I think I'm going to try to work on that first. And we're going to try to ship the sugar cookie, which has a shelf life of, you know, maybe seven to 10 days. And so it's something I can ship to somebody. But that's interesting. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll see how we evolve. I'm sure we'll be adding things and we'll, you know, we also have a gluten free option because a lot of kids on the mm -hmm. spectrum have special diets. So right now, um, it's actually one of Iris's recipes that we got from her. It's a gluten-free breakfast bar, and it has, you know, all gluten-free ingredients and a little bit of chocolate to make it not yucky. So <laughs> <laughs> I understand, and and I apologize yeah. for my fingerprints on the glass. Um, <laughs> yeah, Matt. Matt has a question. Uh, yeah, I would like to know. Um, in terms of these kids and teaching them and. Uh, what is it about baking that uh, seems to be so effective and that they take to it so much? Is it that it's tactile and they can feel the different things with their hands? Is it that there's just 
so many different ways that you can teach them through the business or so i think i think for tactile that's probably like 50 50 right mm -hmm. because some kids crave it and some kids are completely averse to that right but i also think it's it's the it's kind of like a backward chaining thing like here's what the muffin looks like when it's done and we're going to do all the steps to get to this muffin so there's kind of like a concrete this is what i'm going to end up with and if you show me how to do it i'm highly motivated because i know what it tastes when i get to what mm -hmm. to the end there so there's that. And I also think that so they crave structure and they crave routine. So it, it's all, it's the recipe's not going to change. So it's the same thing every time you do it. So there's that comfort in knowing that I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to do a certain amount. And there's a, there's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end. And then maybe I get to go home with the cookie too. Well, as long as there's the cookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say when I was talking to you over the weekend and one of the students, I guess with shift change was leaving the, there was really a sense of satisfaction uh, on mm -hmm. their part. And that was just a really wonderful thing to see having a little bit of background in special education and education. It was truly a rewarding experience for me to see that and what you're doing in the community. And as we're starting to wind down on time, if you can share how people can reach out to you, uh, get your products, uh, if there's other ways that they can help you in this endeavor and support the wonderful work that you are doing. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.bakeabilities.com. We have a Facebook page called Bakeability, and we're on Instagram under Bakeability Bakery. We are working on um, the Google form where you'll be able to order things. But right now from our website, there's a button that says contact us. And if you'd like to order something, we just ask that you give us two weeks notice if it's more than like a dozen of anything, because we just need to be able to prepare for that. And I would like you to give a, a, the exact address and a phone yep. number if possible. Sure. So we are located in Buckingham in the Buckingham Green Shopping Center. Our street address is 4950 York Road. Uh, our suite is LB, which you won't see from the outside. But if you're in the Buckingham Green Shopping Center, we are right next to the Holocong Post Office. And our business phone is 215-315-8560. For anyone listening in the Philadelphia area and you need something to do this spring, they're located about a mile from Peddler's Village. So a trip mm -hmm. to Peddler's Village after stopping at their bakery is the way to go. <laughs> Fuel up, take some for later. Go walk it off in the village and then eat some more that you have in your car. And you can do a dessert and uh, wine tasting. <laughs> you can. You can. I I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. We appreciate it. This is a great bakery. We want to encourage everyone to go support this fantastic bakery. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. And I'm sure I will see you soon. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And let's go to break. Check out our new podcast, Learn About World Cuisine, where we travel to a different country from around the world each week and give you fascinating facts about both the country and the cuisine. Our world traveler gives you his real-life experience in the country, and our wine expert gives you the best wine pairings with your cuisine. Our podcast is available on all platforms, or you can simply Google Learn About World Cuisine to listen to the show.
Dining on a Dime is live from Workhorse Brewing in the great King of Prussia area. We are here with Matt. Matt is the taproom manager. Uh, Matt, talk about Workhorse Brewing and then your wonderful food truck, Workhorse Pizza and Kitchen. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so first, Workhorse Brewing Company. Uh, we are about two and a half years old now. We work out of this space right here on the border of King of Prussia and Bridgeport. We actually have about 70,000 square feet in total. Uh, the area that you're sitting in right now is about 5,000 square feet. Wow. Plus we have the brew house and we have lots of room to exp expand. So the goal here is to do all of our growth from one place. Event spaces, music venues, all that type of stuff is down the road. Obviously, uh, pro probably a little bit further down the road, but that's the point is to grow all from one place, do all of our growth right out of here. Uh, as far as our food truck outside, Workhorse Pizza and Kitchen, we've only had that for about four months now, um, and it's been super successful. So there's kind of a mix of handhelds, pizzas, and there's some Greek influence on it as well. So personally, I think that the uh, cheesesteak egg rolls are one of the best things they have on the truck, and I'm also a big fan of the Bianca Copper Pizza, which is a white base. It has some prosciutto on there with some caramelized good. onions. <laughs> and uh, some balsamic drizzle on top. So it's a thin crust style pizza and they have a pizza oven right on the, uh, the food truck there. It's about an eight, pizza, uh, eight pizzas at a time they can do. That's fantastic. Now, what I love about this place is this place is huge. And as you said, you have big plans. Yes. For the, do you know when this was opened? When was so it? September 2018 is when it opened. Okay. The planning for it started about in about 2015. Uh, so the, one of the co-founders traveled around the country for two years, going to a bunch of different breweries, uh, trying to basically get as much knowledge as possible. And basically, he learned three things. That the biggest thing, issues that breweries have is that, one, they don't have enough capital to grow. Right. They don't have enough physical space to grow, and they don't have enough brewing capacity. So Absolutely. the system that we have over there, we are not using it to its full you know, ability yet. But the point is that we spent the money up front. So as we grow, no additional money needs to be spent to grow. We could probably brew maybe five to six times more than we do right now a year on the system that we have. And that's obviously the plan. And you have plenty of seating. You have outdoor seating. I love the outdoor area because if it's summertime and go out there, go right to the food truck and sit right down and enjoy myself, which Absol I love. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the plans for early April, uh, end of April, we're going to have a tent, a big tent right out in front. And then by the summertime, we're going to have an additional 40 by 100 tent in our parking lot so we can hold outside events and stuff in there, especially if we have inside events going on, we can still serve the public out in the, the uh, beer garden space. And we have done a ton. We've done the craft beer festival. We've done tons of stuff. I want you to talk about the beer because our beer listeners want to know about beer. Right. And we're at a brewing company. Talk about the brewery, and then we'll get to our panelists. Can I see that first? Yeah. Because <laughs> I want to say that your owner learned nothing and must have gotten lucky because... It is all about the beer. Yeah. Well, you get into next. That's why I wanted to jump in now because all that other stuff is wonderful fluff. And I'm glad he traveled around the world on his own dime, I guess, to figure all that out. And he once he got lucky because I tell you what, this beer I have, and I tell you what, you go to other places because unfortunately, because I've been hanging around Kevin, I go to a lot of brew pubs <laughs> trying to chase beer and cheesesteaks. And a lot of places don't have sours right now. And this key lime margarita sour is unbelievable and i'm overlook uh, looking over at amherst's beer my vanilla porter her vanilla porter and i don't know if her glass is broken but that thing keeps emptying out <laughs> at an astonishing rate so that must be good also so yeah i don't know what he learned on his little trip 
but he got lucky because it is about the beer. And these are two good ones, and they're two very different ends of the beer spectrum, right? Absolutely. So, good segue. If you're going to try to prepare for those three problems, the number one thing you need to have is someone that can handle that system. So Nate, our head brewer, he has years of experience. He went to school in uh, UC Davis out in California. Yes, they have a master's program for brewers. He spent five years at Victory Brewing Company, which is local. And then he went down to Virginia, which is where he's originally from. And he helped um, the brew pub that he worked down there grow from a small production facility to a regional production facility like you have a Yards or a Victory. So for him to get on a system like that is not uh, intimidating. The system he had at Devil's Backbone, the last place that he worked, was actually four times that size. So this for him... He can handle that. A normal person that's just coming up was a home brewer or is just getting into the business. It takes a while to be able to scale recipes to that level. So to pr produce a beer like you're talking about, the margarita, in a 30-barrel batch, which is 931 gallons of beer, it takes a lot of skill. Uh, so Nate's background, he has a traditional uh, brewing background, German-style beer. So we always carry a Vienna lager and a Pilsner. Uh, we have a Helles, which is a golden German lager. But then we also go to with some of the, you know, the, the most popular styles of the time. So sours are big right now. So we have a kettle sour program. We usually always have a sour on tap. And then we always try to provide a variety of beer. So whether you're the common person that doesn't necessarily always drink craft beer, you could come in and you can enjoy one of the base lagers that we have. Or if you know, you're a quote unquote beer nerd, you can come in and try the margarita or the smoked oatmeal stout or one of the more uh, like off-centered beers that we have. Now, I want to actually tap into that because off of all of the varieties that you have, something that you guys do that I don't see at any other breweries is you offer four packs of um, canned beer that is a variety pack. So you can actually try different beers from, the, from your workhorse brewing company. Yes. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we started, which I, no other brewery before has, had actually done to my surprise, is a few years back we did something called Flights to Go. We did six beers, six different beers in small eight ounce stubby pony cans. And we sold them to customers at you know, the holiday time so they could do a literally you know, at home flight with our beers. Uh, that was so popular and actually right now it's very hard to get uh, aluminum. So we can only get the 16 ounce cans that we normally have. Our plan was to do another eight ounce version. Uh, so what we've been doing here at the front of the tap room is if customers want to try a variety of beers, we let them create their own six pack or create their own four pack so that they can go home and share with other people. Then they'll come back and they'll, they'll buy whatever they really like. Yeah. And there's something else that I wanted to let our listeners know, which is you actually incorporate some of your beers into what's vended outside with your food truck. So you want to talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So uh, the Bavarian pretzel sticks that we have on the truck, they come with two sides. One is a beer cheese. Uh, they use our Vienna lager in that beer cheese. It is absolutely amazing. It's good on anything. It's good on pizza. It's good on a cheesesteak. It's good with the pretzel sticks. And then for the spicy mustard that comes along with it, they use our golden lager in that as well. So when you get the pretzel sticks, you're actually getting two products along with it that incorporate our beer. That's very cool. Now, also talking about food trucks, I know that you guys actually have a truck where you vend out of. Am, am I correct on that? Yeah. So um, can people right now order off of that truck or like do they have to like for listeners, do they have to reserve the truck to come out? So with the truck right now, it's mostly stationary. Um, 
the goal is in the future, we also have a beer truck as well that's portable. So you might be able to, you know, have the beer truck come to your house with a couple different beers on there. And then, um, you know, the, the people that we're working with for the food truck, they actually might have another one in the works to help us with some of the other venue spaces outside that is uh, a drivable one. So there's big things in the future. All we know right now, the goal is to make sure the customers feel safe and comfortable and then provide them a great experience when they're here. And then the opportunities will be endless. So the food truck that we have right now has been a, has been a godsend for us, you know, especially with the mandates that we have in the state right now. We're able to provide good, high quality food for people while they're here and also fulfill the requirements so they could sit down and enjoy our beer. Exactly. Now, with that food truck and the beers that that you have available, what do what can our listeners look forward to this coming St. Patrick's Day? All right, so St. Patrick's Day, and we actually just just started with those specials tonight. Uh, we're gonna do a couple different things in the tap room. We have a Doppelbach, uh, which is a, a great beer for this time of the year coming out. We're also doing a Berliner Weiss, which is a sour. And uh, traditionally, they would in Germany, they would put sugar syrups in there. One of them is called Woodruff syrup, which happens to be green. So we can have green beer in the tap room without putting food coloring into the beer, which is definitely a no-no in the craft beer community. Yeah. Uh, that, and then on the food truck right now, we're doing some Irish pub-inspired uh, fare. So we have you know your traditional fish and chips uh, with some malt vinegar and some tartar sauce and lemon wedge. And then my personal favorite we're doing a take on our cheesesteak egg rolls which is some irish egg rolls which have uh, corned beef some irish cheddar and some uh, cabbage in there as well and they're delicious so we'll have them for the rest of the month of march i'll tell you what uh from our experience because we covered the craft beer festival and everything else people want to know about beer when we interview the breweries and you did a great job i just want you to talk about what are your most popular beers that people are buying yeah, absolutely. So in general, in the, the craft beer community right now, IPAs are the hot thing. Okay. Uh, so we have two IPAs on all the time. Our New England IPA, which is that classic citrus-based IPA. And then the West Coast, which is more of that old school, uh, has some of those piney notes, some of that resinous hop quality that people tend to love. It's a little bit more bitter. Okay. So we always have those two on tap. And then we have a rotating... Uh, myriad of, of IPAs that roll through. So uh, next week, we have a hazy apricot coming IPA coming out for the spring. Nice. Uh, in addition to that, the Vienna Lager, which I mentioned for our, our beer cheese earlier, a classic you know German standard. If you're looking for a beer to drink all day, right. it's either that or the Golden Lager. Nice. Um, so when you come here, the goal is if you can sit down, we have a whole bunch of stuff. So nice. if you like dark beers, if you like sours, if you like hoppy beers, there will be something for you here all the time. A lot of breweries today uh, focus on one particular style in general. That's not our goal. Our goal is to be accessible for everyone that would come through our door. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, you guys have a beautiful facility. Are you guys, because it's such a big facility, what if I want to book a party or something? So is that, that possible? Is, that's the actually the area that COVID has affected us okay. the most. We did have done a ton of private events. So the room that you're sitting in right now is actually our private event space. But, but a podcast lasts forever, so people could be That's listening true. to this two years. So two years from now, there'll definitely be space. Okay, but as of this moment. Yeah. Uh, we can have a small number of people now inside, which is part of the reason we're going to go with a large tent outside gotcha. in the summer so we could have a couple hundred people event. You're right. Uh, but we actually do whole buyouts of the brewery. We have weddings that come through. Okay, so we're all going to close our eyes and say we're listening to this in 2023. You can call here yes. and uh, book a private party 
post COVID. Absolutely. We have a person okay. that's purely dedicated to that fact, whether it's a party of 25 or Fantastic. a party of 250 people, we can, we can do it. And there's Especially places- in our parking lot too. We have plans for car and what, shows and all sorts of stuff. Out and there. one thing I want to point out to our listeners is you have a beautiful, who did you have a decorator? Was this the, the, the bathroom is all is awesome. Uh, who did all that? It's, so, so no, but I'm saying they have nice, uh, you know, Homer Simpson and everything in the bath. So some of the some of the stuff in the bathroom that was the idea of the two uh, Nate and Dan, who are the one of the two nice. co-founders, brilliant. just to put a little bit of fun into it. But it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, but the, you know. the whole design is obviously it's an industrial building, but it's to give it some warmth as well. So it's a clean, open industrial building, but it also has character too. That's the whole goal. And what we're going to do is we're going to play this segment the day two days before St. Patrick's Day. Right. Uh, we're not going to put it with our show. We're fil- uh, recording here. I'm going to put it on next Tuesday. Uh, one final thoughts about St. Patrick's Day here. What would be the one thing that would, you know, attract us here? Uh, one is we're we're going to have a blowout party. We're going to nice. have specials all day long. Nice. We're going to have that non-food colored green beer, and we're going to have food rolling out of the truck all day long. And our listeners are listening to this. You have two days to get here. Yep. I mean, you can get here St. Patty's Day. It's first come, first serve seating, so you want to get here early. Nice. And uh, let's talk about your tags. Uh, where can they find you on social media? So on Instagram, it's at Workhorse Brewing. Nice. Uh, Twitter, I honestly don't know what the Twitter handle is. All right. Um, Instagram is most important. Instagram is yeah. most important. Facebook is probably very easy to find us. And our website is just workhorsebrewing.com. Awesome. And I want to tell you, food truck cheesesteak I'm looking at looks tremendous. I mean, that is a nice looking cheesesteak. So yeah, you guys want some good food, some good brews. This is the place to be. St. Patrick's Day, two days from today. Uh, Matt, thank you very much. Final thoughts? Uh, I just appreciate you guys coming in. You've been, I don't know how you know well your, cust- your listeners know you personally, but you're all wonderful people. Oh, thank you. Uh, you've been very easy to work with, and we've loved having you. We hope you kind of come back in the future, and we, if your listeners come in, mention that they heard, you know. Oh, on Dining on a Dime. Yeah, Absolutely. Mention, and we'll, we'll, we'll take care of them. We'll hook them up. Thank you so much, and we want everyone, get down here. Workhorse Brewing, King of Prussia, PA. Uh, let's get back to the studio. Wow, what a great episode that was. Really enjoyed the interview with uh, Bakeability. Uh, that workhorse interview was fantastic. Amherst Pollock, was, give your tags. I was going to say, Matt was awesome. Matt was awesome. and um, But not so- me. you can find me across most social media, either under my name, Amherst Pollock, or A.R. Pollockus. Matt? I am at M Maratea22 on Twitter, Instagram, Untapped, all of that good stuff. Uh, that's M M A R A T E A 2 2. And as always, thank you to Last Out Media, our lovely right, studio, studio and hosts. Uh, Chef. You can find me at ibfoodie2 on any social media platform, or you can look me up at Gene Blum as well on some. And you can always email me at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com if you have any specific questions. And as always, Philly Restaurant Reviews with an S.com has 116 of our episodes plus 600 restaurant reviews with photos. And we will see you next week. Thank you, everyone. Sporting Chance Podcast. Crack one open and give this podcast a chance. It is a weekly rundown of Philly sports, a dive into craft beer, and a peek at the sports memorabilia collection of Matthew Maratea. 
which is also me. Join me as I am a lifelong fan, a craft beer industry worker, and a sports writer as I'm trying to tie together all of my passions for give you, the listeners, a refreshing look at the world of sports and beer. You can tune in on iTunes, uh, Anchor, Spotify, and any number of other podcasting apps. So be sure to check it out and look for it weekly, the Sporting Chance Podcast.